Welcome back to the Brazos Point Living Room. This week we have myself once again, Joseph Castillo. We have Randy Dane. Good morning. Good, good afternoon. <laughs> Wait, I was gonna say. <laughs> and Michelle Masterson. Good evening and good night. <laughs> well, again, thanks for so much for listening. The heart of this podcast is simply to turn Sunday's message into a conversation with real people and to talk about some of the things the message talks about or that it doesn't talk about and go into some depth and even jump into some of the confusing things that are worth having discussion about. Like this week we has lots what? of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. This week is a perfect example. Chock full. Chock full. So to start us off, the first question is, what characteristics or traits have you inherited from your parents? Yeah, so basically I am my mom. I'm a, a like bit, a mama's boy or? Uh, no, no, no. I, uh, <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and a, a clone. Chip off the old block. Chip off the old. <laughs> yeah. So like to put it, uh, I don't know, diplomatically, you would say I get my confidence from my mom. Uh, to put it bluntly, you'd say I get my know it allness from my mom. Like her email address literally is Nita Knows Best. Her name is Nita. <laughs> But she would tell you she didn't make it for herself. My sister, I think, made it, but she kept it for decades. And she's delightful. Yeah. Yeah. Like me. Right. <laughs> Just ask you. Are, are you like your dad in any way? I think so. I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Maybe. Uh, well, fast you know, walking. You're a fast walker. I am a fast walker and a fast eater. And my dad can walk fast and eat fast. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you do know they're listening, your parents, to they this podcast. Listen. No, they don't know how to podcast. They're <laughs> <laughs> just like, Well, I'm going to send it to them. Are you, what, like, what did you inherit? Go for it. Well, I know that I somehow simultaneously look exactly like my mom and exactly like my dad. How does that um, work? I really don't Genetics. know. I mean, they have the same, like, dark hair, dark eyes, like, features like that, but... When I'm with my mom, people tell me I look exactly like her. When I'm with my dad, people tell me I look exactly like him. And I remember one time, it was when my grandma was in a nursing home. And I had never been to that nursing home before because I had been away at college. And so I went to go visit her, and I was by myself. And as soon as I walked in the door, the staff at the counter said, You're Robert's daughter, aren't you? And I was like, Yeah. That's <laughs> they crazy. showed me where my grandma was. Because I think you look more like your mom. Oh, I look, I mean, just the other day I was FaceTiming with my nephew and he goes, you look like Pokey. <laughs> and that's your mom's name? Yeah. <laughs> or it's, uh, isn't that Gumby's horse? Pokey? Who? Gumby's oh, horse is maybe. Pokey. Maybe. She spells it differently though. Okay. P-O-Q-U-I. Gotcha. A Gumby reference. Yeah. You're going way back, man. Did you my know, kids do have, you know Gumby? I know Gumby, but my kids and probably... Our students in the student ministry have no clue. Yeah. So what did you inherit? Uh, I think I inherited from my parents, both of them. Uh, the just They are really go-with-the-flow people. They are just, um, I don't know how to say it. They're chill. just easygoing. They're chill. I think I got that from them for sure. When it comes to looks-wise, I definitely have inherited my father's mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Not your mom's mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, Randy. She listens. <laughs> she knows how to podcast. Uh, yeah, he you can grow it. quite the mustache. And I just know if I ever wanted, it's there. You know what? I was telling my children just this weekend. I was like, have y'all ever seen Joseph's legs? I don't remember why it came yeah. up, but I was telling them how amazing Here. your leg hair is. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's his mustache. <laughs> On my face. Well, the reason we're talking about how, how we are like our parents is because today in the passage we're going to look at, we're going to see Jesus describe his own relationship to his father and how he is like the father and yet distinct. And so as we go into it, we see some of the things Jesus describes is that he can do nothing of his own accord and whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And so first question is, how is Jesus equal with the father and yet distinct? And where does the Holy Spirit come into all of this? Well, I think the the significance of this is that it's actually on its face, it's a little bit confusing because you would take that idea of Jesus not being able to do anything on his own accord um, and think that he's drawing out his distinction, his distinctiveness and difference from the Father, when in reality the point of the passage is actually drawing a, a, a conclusion about the likeness with the Father hmm. because he's having this conversation with the Jews and the Jews are wanting to kill him because ultimately he's talking, going back to last week, about his authority over the Sabbath because he's not just the Sabbath breaker, quote unquote, but he's the Sabbath maker, right? And so ultimately that's why they're against him is because of the equality that he's claiming with God. And that's what this is about too, is that he's saying, basically, I've got the power that God has because I am God. I've got the the authority that God has because I am God and uh, I deserve the, the, the honor and the glory that God gets because I am God. And so it really gets us into the the mystery that is the Trinity. And that's so important. I mean, this really is at the core of our Christian faith, this idea that God is coexisting. And it's the radical part, too. The Trinity itself. Yeah, Yeah. the Trinity itself. That it's, it's... A radical part. Yeah, that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all eternally pre-existent, all always having existed in co-unity with co-equality. And so all three persons of the Trinity are absolute equals. And yet, it's the three and one, and this is the mystery part. How can something be three and one? How can it have all of the same and the likeness while also having some distinction? And this passage gets into both of that, the, the distinction of God and the persons of the Trinity, but also... Uh, the unity of God and the persons of the Trinity. And so, you know, if you're kind of new to Trinitarian theology and really thinking through what it means, uh, that's really what you want to hold on to is the the unity yet distinction at the same time. And that really is mystery because mm-hmm. if you explain it away too far, you undo the mystery of the Trinity. Real simple stuff. Real yeah. simple stuff. <laughs> I'm yeah. one that is okay with it being mystery. Like when it comes to God, Um, I like the idea that there are things about him that I cannot and will not understand, you know, and because that is part of what makes him God. If we could understand it all, I don't think it would be as just mind-blowing as it is. I think it's a two-sided coin, though, because in humility, we need to have that posture of saying, man, he's God and I'm not, and I can't completely understand, while at the same time, not just in blind faith saying, oh, I just accept this, Mm -hmm. because we do need to be able to articulate and defend our Trinitarian faith. Yeah, God is knowable, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even in uh, Jesus' describing of his relationship to the Father and his characteristics and his traits and how he is like the Father— he makes some claims of some of the things he is able to do. Uh, and so my next question is just, what are some of the things Jesus claim, is claiming that he has the ability to do in these verses? Well, like one of the things is in verse 27, he talks about how he has the authority to judge. And so we've, we had a little bit of conversation earlier around is the authority to judge and the authority to forgive 
the same thing? Like, is it really just two sides of the same coin? Because last week in, in that story of him healing the man physically, he also healed him spiritually and said, I have the authority to forgive your sins and, and your sins are forgiven. And so that's it's just interesting to me that in that story, it's couched in that way. Mm. And then in this story, it's couched in the authority to judge. Well, and so go back to a couple of the phrases in here, right? So he says, for whatever the father does, the son also does. And so basically all authority, all power, uh, all attributes of God the father also are seen in God the son, right? This is an absolute claim to complete equality with God the father. And then he says things like, uh, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And so it's, again, it's like any glory that's due to God, the father is also due to God, the son. And so here you have the God, man, Jesus in the flesh, making this claim to people who are followers of God, that he deserves all of their worship because he possesses all of the same authority and power. And I think sometimes like we can be too hard on the the people of scripture, the people behind scripture, the Pharisees, et cetera. But really like put yourself in their shoes mm -hmm. of what it would be like to process these claims because these are the kinds of claims where Jesus is absolutely calling people to lordship and he is claiming the authority of God, the the essence of God, the personhood of God, and, and basically saying you will either line up behind me and worship or you will not. You will either be with me and believe me and trust me, or you will be against me and reject me. And these are these are serious bold And I claims. think that's why I appreciate it as so radical, because it wasn't all that, you know, unthought of to refer to God as their father. Like the Pharisees referred to God as their father, but for somebody to claim to be God's son is the radical part. And it would be so hard to wrap your mind around it, even though Jesus was fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, even just in this chapter alone, there were three signs um, in the in the Old Testament that were mentioned that you would know that this was the Messiah. And one of them was the authority to judge. And one was that the lame and sick would be healed. And then the other one was that the dead would be raised to life. And we see that verbiage here in this chapter that we'll get to in just a little bit. Well, and the shocking claim is not just that he's the son of God, but because he's the son of God, that he is deity. Yes. Right? And because the, the Jews were... And, the and, and, and necessarily so, the Jews were radically monotheistic mm -hmm. in a culture where monotheism wasn't the norm, right? In a world where monotheism wasn't the norm. Yeah. And so they were radically monotheistic. And for him to say, uh, he's not calling them to polytheism, right? To a, a, a religion that has multiple gods. He's calling them to a Trinitarian theology that has the one and three. And so that's what's so radically different here in a sense is what he's saying is I have the authority to judge. Why? Because ultimately sin is against me because I am God. Yeah. I have the authority to forgive. Why? Because ultimately forgiveness is needed from me because your sin is against me because I'm God. And that's the part that would have been absolutely mind blowing to his audience. I think one of the things that stands out to me in this is, man, Jesus making lots of claims and there's lots of things that uh, are worthy of discussion, like trying to talk out exactly what this means and how. But one of the things that is really clear, I think, in the midst of all of this is they were offended by his claim. And even talking last week, they were offended that he healed somebody on the Sabbath and commanded that man to take up his mat and walk. Starting this passage, it says that they were seeking... Uh, 
to kill Jesus, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he was claiming, calling God his Father and making himself equal with God. And just in all of this, one thing that is for certain is they understood his claim. He was claiming not just to be a teacher or a good person or a philosopher mm-hmm. or a prophet. He was claiming to be equal with God, and that upset them. Well, and ultimately, remember, when you see Jesus on the cross, this is why. Mm. This is why they crucified him. Yeah, for these claims. Well, as you go on in verse 24, um, Jesus basically says, whoever hears his words and believes in the one who sent him has eternal life. He says that they do not come into judgment, but they have passed from death to life. And this is a pretty key verse in just our the life of our church. It's where we get the phrase of stepping over the line of faith and crossing from death to life. Uh, And the question I have for you guys is many times we talk about that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, but he came to make dead people alive. And so what does that actually mean? And it means a ton, honestly. Uh, on, on, on the one hand, let's deal with the first part of that, what it means for it to be about not just making bad people good, but dead people alive. Like, let's not have a misconception of Christianity that this is, you know, like a cleaner that we apply to our lives to help clean up ourselves. Like, that's not, that's not at all the core of the gospel. That's anti-gospel, actually, the idea that you could clean yourself up and you could use the tenets of Christianity to go from being a bad person to becoming a good person. Uh, that's anti-gospel and that's anti-Christian. And so to really drive that home and make sense of that, uh, we, we get at this idea that he didn't come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. And the idea is this is the ability that you have in and of yourself, and that's to be dead. You are dead in your sins, you are dead in your trespasses, and you are spiritually dead forever eternally separated from God, and you have no power in and of yourself to change or to exchange that. And so Jesus comes to supernaturally make us alive, not just to clean us up, but to give us his righteous record, and in doing so, making us spiritually alive and making us forgiven to the point that we can be reconciled to God. And so you go back to that verse, and it says here that that we won't be judged because of this. And I think that's an important piece for us not to miss over the details of that. The only reason why we won't be judged according to our badness or our deadness is because of the righteousness that has been given to us from Christ. So Jesus comes on the scene. He lives the life that we couldn't live. And then he dies the death that we deserve. He lives the perfect and sinless life that we could never accomplish for ourselves. And so then, why are we not judged? It's because as Christians, we're covered by, which is the word atonement, right? Jesus atones for us and he becomes this covering for us. And we receive his righteous record in place of our unrighteous record. And so then in the judgment of things, we won't be judged based on our badness or our deadness, but instead we will be seen in our aliveness that has only been made possible by receiving the righteous record of Christ. And, uh, and all that is, is, is implied in all of this, right? Like this is the gospel that Jesus has come to move the dead to life. And not only is he going to do that uh, spiritually, which is ultimately his primary mission, but he's going to demonstrate his power to do that by raising dead people to life physically, raising mm. physically dead people to physical life, and then raising himself from physical death and a physical life. All of that authenticating that gospel message, showing that he can do that same thing spiritually in us by then giving us his own righteous record. So yeah, massive gospel claims in that verse. It means everything. Hmm. Well, if you continue reading, we see that uh, one of the things Jesus claims or says and describes is that um, 
well, really, what does it mean when Jesus describes that those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned? Do y'all ever picture this? <laughs> like actually picture what that would look like? Like the resurrection from the dead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going back to your question, Joseph, what does it mean? Um, like I think the short answer is... I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'd rather just kind of picture it. Um, like it's, it's complicated. I think this is a good opportunity though, to teach, uh, what's called hermeneutics. Okay. So hermeneutics is how we interpret the scriptures and how we understand the meaning of, uh, the verses of the Bible. And a hermeneutic says you let the clear interpret the unclear. And so there are things in the Bible, let's be honest, that are, are confusing. There are things that Jesus said that are confusing, and I believe intentionally so. Um, but there are things that Jesus said with abundant clarity. Like, man, there's no mistaking what he said there. And uh, I think there's a lot in these verses that we can understand. I think there's some in these verses that we don't quite understand. But I do know what it looks like to take this interpretation method of letting the clear interpret the unclear here and recognizing that this is not an anti-gospel message. Jesus isn't preaching something that's contrary to the gospel that says if anyone believes in him, they can be moved from death to life. And it, it's not all of a sudden Jesus changing the game and saying you have to behave your way in with righteous deeds versus evil, right? Um, so I would say, like, in, in one sense, the way I understand this is who have done good, and that's accepting uh, Christ, right? That's the ultimate That's the ultimate good. Those who have believed on him in faith, accept, accepted his claims that he is God, and that he has come with forgiveness and grace, and those who have done evil uh, will rise to be condemned. And ultimately, there is a lot going on here because he's talking about the future things and the the final things. Uh, and I think that's what makes it so confusing as you try to understand these verses. Well, and going back to verse 24 and making that making that decision for yourself um, to step over the line of faith, like at that moment, it's a completed transaction. You know, like it, it is done. What, you know, Jesus has done and, and that's in that moment, like you're covered by his blood. You know, you're covered by him. He has atoned for you. And so when we see this passage, you know, a little bit later in the chapter talking about being raised from the dead and who has done good and who has done evil, I think that that is interesting in the lens of thinking through verse 24 in that like it's done. Like whatever you what whatever you decided in life is where you'll spend eternity. Like there's Done not because any his working. righteous record is exchanged for our bad. Yeah. Record. There's not, there's not any more working towards something that you do. Like, yes, we want to live our lives as a response of worship to God for what he has done, but there's nothing that we do to keep earning our way there. Like it is right. done. It was a and yet simultaneously, the Spirit will move us in sanctification towards, uh, you know, mortifying sin in our lives, right, where yeah. we where we see our loves exchange and our desire for sin decrease as our love for Jesus increases, and yet we will never become sinless and perfect. We'll continue to sin, right? And so all that's going on while simultaneously it is finished and it is done in us, and and at any moment if we are 
to physically die, we will be in that space and in that place where in the judgment, you know, we will be judged according to Christ's righteous record. And yet also there is another judgment that's being referred to here, and that's the final judgment. You know, there's some end times language that's going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's part of this resurrection of the dead too. Um, and that's the physically dead and, and, and they will, you know, rise up because God is going to turn and make all things new and bring about the new creation in the end of times. So yeah, there's, there's a ton going on here. Hmm. I've always taken this verse just to be super heavy and just reminded too that people were created for eternity. And it's not just that, hey, if you chose to trust in Jesus, you will get to wake up and, and be brought back to life and spend eternity with him. It's like, even if you chose not to, you will also spend eternity somewhere. Hmm. And... Um, that's just something I've always pulled out of this. And that's another thing that's hard to wrap our minds around is just the concept of eternity. I mean, I know there's plenty of people that see death as like a final rest or something like that. And Jesus, Jesus's words don't let us think that that's mm. the case. Like this isn't we're it. created for eternity. Well, in all that conversation of the resurrection of the end and judgment and all of those things, I think one thing um, that can, can as even in the confusingness of it and in the clear, the clear, I think one question that can continue to come up and cause people just to think about is how can we know for sure that we have eternal life? Like, how can I know for sure, even in all these descriptions, like that's me, I'm in that category. And will I stay there based on what I do next? I think it goes back to verse 24, mm-hmm. right? Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. There is a confidence there, right? And will not be judged, will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And so it all comes back down to what do you do with who Jesus says he is? Is he the son of man, the son of God? Is he co-equal with the father and the spirit? Is he the deliverer who is sent to save? Is he the one that has the power and authority to forgive sins and to cover you with his righteousness at the judgment. If he is, and you believe that in faith, then you can be confident that you have eternal life, that you will not be judged, and that you have crossed over from death to life. If he isn't, and you reject those claims, then you can know that you'll have eternal separation. I mean, it's just a good reminder, too. I, it is not because of me that I am in that category. And so in the same breath, if I have given my life to Jesus and it's because of him, then I also don't have the power to remove myself from that. I didn't get in on my own works and I can't remove myself from it. And not to jump ahead, but I always think about this part in John 10. Jesus describes how he's the good shepherd and he calls us the sheep. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, verse 28, 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And just a reminder, like, I'm included in that no one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, these verses where Jesus is speaking of his authority, this is an appeal to lordship, mm-hmm. right? It's an appeal to submission to him and for us as followers of Jesus to submit completely to him and see him as that authority over our lives. And, uh, and that matters, right? It doesn't matter in the sense that we have to earn our way in, but it does matter in the sense of it's our response to 
his personhood, his equality with God, and his claims that he has the power in his hands to bring about forgiveness or judgment and how we respond to that and then submit our lives in, in reaction to that authority. It's evidence of our faith. Well, this was fun. <laughs> yeah, a little deeper waters this time, Yeah, huh? there's a, a lot to walk through and wade through, and I appreciate the conversation, seriously. I think that's kind of the hope of this podcast is on some of those weeks where it is deep waters and not everything is crystal clear to have people to bounce things off of and understand more clearly. Well, I think that's a great reminder because these very verses and the nature of how complex they are, they're what get folks to some pretty different places in mm-hmm. regards to their beliefs, in regards to their beliefs about the afterlife and things like that. These are like some of the core verses that people point to. And, 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 and it's because they're letting the unclear interpret and build their theologies. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, uh, and that's why you want to go back to that idea of letting the clear interpret the unclear. And these are why we, these, these, you, you don't want to build on these kinds mm-hmm. of things. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Herman was a smart guy. Herman Newtick. <laughs> yeah. He had a mustache like his mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if you've been listening with us, uh, we appreciate it. And we would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and also leave a review and not just send Michelle texts, We appreciate that too. Uh, But if you haven't picked up on it, our podcast goes out every Sunday um, about noon and something for you to follow up Sunday's message with. So any last thoughts, guys? None for me. Not me. Well, we look forward to seeing you on Sunday and we'll see you next week.